Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Don't you love a good Monday where the games end early? That was kind of magical. Latest game was Central Time on Monday night. Nothing in the mountains, nothing on the Pacific coast. The games were all over by about 7.45 my time out here. And that was only because Memphis-San Antonio kind of trickled to the end. It was a hell of a game, by the way, but it did trickle. Unfortunately, of the seven games, four of them were decided somewhat early, which led to some kind of goofball fantasy lines for a few guys, but also some very big ones. Couple little tidbits, confirmation-wise, and some streamers, some streamers. No rant at the beginning of today's show. This one might actually be a tiny bit shorter. We'll see. We'll see as we work our way through it. I always say that, and then I end up going 35, 40 minutes anyway. So, anyway. Uh, Welcome to the pod, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. I guess that part is all sort of old hat by now. This shows a Sports Ethos presentation. SportsEthos.com, the website at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. The single best fantasy news feed on planet Earth. Second fastest on the planet, best analysis on the planet. That grades out to number one. Because the fastest on the planet has no analysis. And that, friends... It's not very helpful. It's helpful if you can anal- if you can do it yourself. Which I suppose is kind of what I'm trying to teach all of you guys to do anyway. So here I am over here talking in circles. I am on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hello again to anybody new finding the show. I know, uh, as I've been mentioning, a lot of new social media follows. So I'm hoping that you guys have now located the podcast. I've been trying to, to push it pretty good on the, the Twitter channel's See if we can bring some more of you into the fold here over on the Spotify, iTunes, whatever side you've uh, decided to use to check this thing out. Please subscribe. I don't know. Whatever. You guys know the drill by now. Let's dive on in. Minnesota beat Cleveland in the early one. Carl Anthony Towns, the self-proclaimed greatest big man shooter of all time, saved his biggest shot for last. Three-pointer to win the ball game at the end. Minnesota added a couple more points at the very tail end of the ballgame. Pretty good fantasy lines for a lot of the Timberwolves. Unfortunately, a kind of quiet one again for our guy Jared Vanderbilt, who had eight points, nine rebounds, and a block. Really wasn't involved in the first half much at all. Jaden McDaniels got hot. He had four three-pointers in the first half. He went quiet, and they kind of flip-flopped in the second half. Torian Plintz played relatively well. Prince off the bench. Um... and as far as Vanderbilt goes, you know, I don't know. We're, we're we're into a playoff situation in some leagues, which, you know, I to that end, I could probably make the argument that he's not a must-roster guy. But they've got another ball game tonight. They're, that's part of, we talked about this on yesterday's show. Minnesota's got the back-to-back to start the week and then a back-to-back towards the tail end of the week. If you wanted to drop him in between those two, that would be okay. I do think ultimately we'll regret it. He gets a lot of his work done 
with those hustle stats, the rebounds, the steals, the blocks, field goal percent, that kind of thing. So when he's having quiet nights, they're going to be really quiet because he's not going to score. I think we can hang on, but I get it. You don't have to. Patrick Beverly, nice ball game. 11 points, two boards, six assists, a steal, three blocks, and three three-pointers. I mean, every time I start to look at Bev, like, should I still be trotting this guy out there? He goes and puts up a line like this one, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why. That is a delectable roto line. There really isn't a whole lot on the uh, Minnesota side of the ledger, though. The Cleveland side, on the other hand, Darius Garland still without a firm timetable. Karis LeVert without a firm timetable. So just keep rolling Brandon Goodwin out there, even if Rajon Rondo magically reemerges. And Cleveland, by the way, they're in a little bit of trouble without their two main horses right now. But the other guys are trying to make it work. Kevin Love snapped back into place. Remember we mentioned holding on to him on yesterday's podcast. He was just kind of finding his way with Larry Markkinen stepping in and taking a lot of shots. But Love, Love took 10 shots, remember, in like 13 minutes of that last ball game. So 14 shots, 7 free throws in 26 minutes. That was good. Jared Allen was good. Brandon Goodwin was great as a fill-in. Jetty Osmond even had 21 off the bench, but you're not taking that plunge. That's a little bit too inconsistent. Goodwin is the stream on this team. And then just nice to see Kevin Love, you know, get it back into place. That's where we knew he was going to be, and it was all just about hanging on long enough to get there. Indiana, without Malcolm Brogdon, went back to being bad again. It's kind of the way things have been. Tyrese Halliburton put up another big ball game, as he will do pretty much every game, with or without Brogdon. Chris Duarte was an interesting one. Uh, his big toe's been acting up. He didn't make it through this ball game. Jalen Smith got ejected in the middle of a really big ball game, which, frankly, kind of screwed up our ability to figure out what was going on with this team. Because Isaiah Jackson picked up two fouls in three minutes, and then they just sat him the rest of the first half. He did have, however, a pretty good second half. Played about 15 minutes in the second half. And I think he had all six points in... Four of his rebounds and both block shots in the second. I mean, obviously this was not a good ball game, but he does have 10 blocks in three games since the All-Star break. So you're hanging on to Isaiah Jackson. O'Shea Brissett, six points, six boards, two assists. Remember in yesterday's show, I mentioned him as a guy who really does profile more as a points league type option. And you saw it here. You know, he, the percentages are not good. So if the popcorn stuff goes away, the whole thing comes apart fast i'm not a big brissette guy in nine category formats i think i've made that clear i'll make it clear again the guy that i've had my eye on so halliburton's a go buddy heald's a go malcolm brogdon's a go when he's playing that's an obvious one isaiah jackson is a guy i'm starting right now i know they're going to be these slow ball games from time to time i'm not that worried about it i think it'll balance out okay jalen smith is the the one that kind of was hanging in the balance which i think we talked about on yesterday's podcast and, you know, 14 points, 8 rebounds in 25 minutes. What I said on yesterday's show was that I, it seemed like we needed to get him up to about 28, 29 minutes to guarantee fantasy value. And he would have gotten there if not for the ejection in this ballgame. So, you know, I don't know what Miles Turner's deal is at this point. I think you can pick up Jalen Smith. It feels pretty reasonable at this point like I don't I don't think I see anything usurping his 25 minutes of ball game the problem of course with Smith is that he's not the shot blocker that Isaiah Jackson is 
Smith is going to be the guy who gets you decent percentages in both. He can do both. Field goal percent, remember he was at 56% with the Suns. He's only at 46% with, or excuse me, he was 46% with the Suns. He's at 56% with Indiana, uh, but only about a block per 36 at both stops, really. He was like at about a block and a half per 36 with Phoenix. But again, as we're seeing the minutes go up, the block rate has decreased a little bit. So it's mostly points, rebounds, good percentages, and he is mixing in some three-pointers as well, which is, you know, not horrible, he has like a really degraded uh, Larry Markinen, Kevin Love type of stat line is what we're seeing. And it's not what you'd expect because we thought we saw some defensive prowess with Phoenix, but I think it was a bit overblown. So he really has points, boards, threes, and percentages. And that's an interesting combination. And to that end, I think he belongs on fantasy teams right now. He's been pretty good since the All-Star break inside the top 100 over that stretch, because when you have good percentages, your other stuff doesn't have to be as good. Add him. Screw it. Add him. Add Jalen Smith. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I'm going to spend the next 25 minutes trying to figure out who the hell I'm dropping to pick up Jalen Smith, but I'll figure something out. Somebody can get cast into the ocean. I don't know who on my roster, but I'll figure it out. Maybe Gary Payton, who <laughs> we already figured out is a nice stream for tonight because news broke yesterday that Clay Thompson's still under the weather. Unrelated. On the Orlando side, Markel Fultz, season debut, 16 minutes, 10 and 6. That's a really nice start for him. His minutes are going to stay low for a while. Um, he's not going to play in back-to-backs probably the entire season. I don't know that the efficiency and usage sticks as the minutes go up. The Magic have a lot to sort out. They have Jalen Suggs, who had 14 and 10, was trying to sort of show that he should stick. Cole Anthony had a bad game, maybe while trying to show that he should stick. I, I truly don't know. I really don't know how this thing is going to shake out. Gary Harris is in a lot of trouble because R.J. Hampson, Hampton is back uh, and Fultz is back. So there's a ridiculous log jam going on with that team. Mo Bamba, 30 minutes, 15 and 10, a steal and a block. Told you guys to hang on to Mo. It's not exciting, but the minutes have been enough. What to do with all the guards on this team? I'm not adding Markel Fultz. 
I'm not adding him in Roto because it's going to take him another week or two or more, maybe even, to get up to normal minutes, whatever they're actually aiming for with him. I'm not adding him head-to-head because the schedule is too weak. But then what does it do to the other guys? Do I drop Jalen Suggs? No, not after this ballgame. Do I drop Cole Anthony? No. Although, admittedly, these guys were better suited for head-to-head formats anywhere. We're a bad game here and there. Like, you, you, you just pile up the stats and you hope for a good week at the right time. I think from a, if we're looking at it from a games cap standpoint, which is basically like, look, we're, we'll start guys that are more or less inside the top 115, 120. That's in a 12-team league, that's startable. I don't know that any of those three guards are inside the top 120 when they're all up to full speed. Keep that in mind. You don't have to make the move right now, but get ready for it. Miami was up pretty big on Chicago, um, and the minutes tell the story more than the score does. DeMar DeRozan had a rare off game. Io DeSumo bounced back, so that was nice. Vooch was not good. He got owned by Bam Adebayo. Zach Levine was pretty quiet. Miami, it turns out, is a very good basketball team. This was without Kyle Lowry again, so Gabe Vincent stepped up with a big fill-in game. I mean, they just get games from everybody. Miami just gets stuff from everybody. Adebayo has been incredible since he came back from injury. Tyler Hero had a better one. Jimmy Butler had four steals in the first quarter and then didn't need to do much the rest of the way. They're a machine, man. Beat up on the Bulls. No moves from this one. No moves. Chicago, you're still starting the same four guys right now. And then we'll keep an eye. Alex Caruso, I think, is about due back at practice, but that means he's still a couple weeks away. We haven't heard much from Lonzo Ball. Blah, blah, blah. Three games into the recap, that means it's time for us to remind you guys of our buddies over at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. Available anywhere apps can be downloaded. The iTunes Store, Android. Apple, Android, you got it. You want it? You got it. ThriveFantasy.com. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy and our promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, which gets you not only 100% deposit match bonus, but also two $20 contest entry vouchers with a minimum deposit of just $10. Put in $10 into your account. They'll match it with another $10. And you get those two $20 vouchers, so you actually get $60 of play for a $10 deposit. We've got winning stories coming from so many sports ethosians. Used to be, it was easier to call everybody hoop ballers. Sports ethosers? Ethosians? Sports ethoses was probably the language we speak. Doesn't matter. Go join the throngs of sports ethosians. Winning money at ThriveFantasy.com. All you got to do is figure out prop bets. Are the big names on the card going to score more or less than the number that Thrive Fantasy attaches to them? How much do you think Donovan Mitchell scores in his next ballgame? You think it's a lot? You take the over. You think it's not very much? You take the under. You pick 10 out of 20 names on the board. If you rack up wins in your prop guesses, then you win money. ThriveFantasy.com. Promo code ETHOS. Toronto blew out Brooklyn. Poor Brooklyn. No superstars in this ballgame. Andre Drummond had his knee buckle weird, and he tried to play through it, but he wasn't quite the same. LaMarcus Aldridge got a little extra run. And what we've been talking about on the Brooklyn side, 
Both centers are probably worth hanging on to. We saw Nick Claxton roll up some garbage time minutes in this one, but he generally hasn't been in the rotation of late. Goran Dragic played 17 minutes. Meh. Thought maybe there was a chance he might get to do a little bit more with no Kyrie. Kyrie's gone for a couple ballgames now because now they go to Toronto where unvaccinated folks can't cross the border. So this is why we hung on to both Drummond and Aldridge for now. But it sounds like Ben Simmons is still a week or two away. Kevin Durant has already been ruled out for this ballgame, which makes the return later this week still feasible. But, you know, I'd be a little surprised to see him go from getting ruled out a day in advance to playing on Thursday. And then I think they're off until Sunday after that, if memory serves. So you might not see any of the superstars until Sunday, which would be Kyrie, and then maybe Durant? Hard to say. Tough team to stream, though. I think you go big guys, maybe Bruce Brown, and of course Seth Curry. That's the easy one. Scotty Barnes. First really big game for Barnes in a long time. And a huge one. No Freddie Van Fleet. He was resting a sore knee. I wonder if he'll play on the second half of the back-to-back. If he doesn't, Malachi Flynn did just fine as a fill-in in this ballgame. Pascal Siakam had a rare off game, but they didn't need it. Toronto had 17 steals in this game. Wowzers. And then, who we talked about on yesterday's show, Thad Young, Chris Boucher, sort of eating from the same bucket right now which means they're probably both droppable. Sad, though, that makes me feel. I'm a pragmatic fellow when things are not going right for my guys. It's time to get off the ship. And for Boucher, we held on for a long time. It's time to move on there. Uh, Thad, we never really added him. You know, he was speculative at the All-Star break, and then he didn't play in that first game. They showed they were going to kind of slowly work him into the mix. And at that point, I wasn't going to wait on it. I thought maybe, you know, we talked about on yesterday's show, uh, on a weekend review that Thad was seeing over 20 minutes a game, but there just there sort of wasn't enough there with all the different ball handlers on the team. Siakam can play some point. We've seen Gary Trent can orchestrate. Flynn, Barnes, obviously Van Vliet when he's healthy. There isn't that same need that, that the Bulls had for Thad last year to run a point-forward spot get Zach Levine the ball in the right spot. Toronto has plenty of guys that can do that. So those guys don't need to be on your fantasy team. Sacramento blew out Oklahoma City, though uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander certainly did his best to keep him in it with 37-10-7. That's a big ball game. Uh, Sacramento, interesting lineup choices. No more Harkless for this one. So they rolled Trey Lyles as the starting power forward, and he blew up for 24 points. Okay, I'm not adding him. Harrison Barnes, Demonis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, who stunk it up at the free throw line again, but those are the three guys you trust. Dante DiVincenzo was hot off the bench. I don't care. Justin Holiday was cold as a starter. Meh. Davion Mitchell was fine. Meh. Damian Jones is your backup center with no Rashawn Holmes. Meh. Don't care. Three main guys. That's it. I am curious on the Oklahoma City side. What? Someone's got to do something. Because Josh Giddey's out. 
Alexei Pokashevsky, nine points, eight boards, five assists, two steals, two blocks. Every once in a while, he flashes that fantasy potential. I don't know if we can trust it. I don't know that we can trust almost anything because the Thunder are missing a bunch of key guys right now. Notably, Dort and Giddy, who slot in behind Gilgis Alexander as the number two and number three options in whatever order you want to put them in. So everybody's moved way up the pecking order right now. Trey Mann... 11-3-4, kind of a quiet game, but he'd been playing a little bit better. Darius Baisley played 29 minutes. I mean, you know, the second highest scoring total on the Thunder in this game was 12 behind Shea's 37. That makes it hard to pick a second guy you might want to trot out there on this team. I do think Trey Mann is your... Other option right now, potentially, although in Game Cap Roto, I think I'm only going Shea for the moment. Head-to-head, you might venture into some of this other stuff. I know they're not a terrible playoff schedule, depending on what week it starts for you. But they're, they're a little ugly right now. I thought Darius Baisley might do a little bit more in this game. I didn't play him, because you guys know I kind of detest Baisley's fantasy game. Uh, but I thought he might do a little bit more. I mean, they really do mix and match. There's just, there's no guarantee of who's going to get the minutes on a given night. Another blowout. Milwaukee blew out Charlotte. Giannis, a perfect 14 for 14 at the free throw line. How about that weirdness? Anyway, main four guys from Milwaukee. No surprises there. On the Charlotte side, Montrez Harrell, another cold ball game, although he played plenty of minutes. He just went one for eight from the field. Otherwise, it would have been a perfectly reasonable game. P.J. Washington was fine. Lamelo, Terry Rozier, those are the guys that actually put up the numbers. I still think you can stream Montrez and PJ while Gordon Hayward is out. Easy. Keep it easy. Complicate things. And then Memphis beats San Antonio behind John Morant's 52. Well, he's gone bananas here lately. DeJounte Murray got ejected relatively late in this ballgame, so he got most of his fantasy numbers in beforehand. Doug McDermott had five assists. That was notable, but I don't care, really. Devin Vassell, uh, fine. He was fine again. Jakob Pertl, solid again. Lonnie Walker had 22, don't care. Keldon Johnson, 10 and 8. He's been better lately. I've been trying to be a little more kind to Keldon Johnson. He's probably startable. these days. I mean, He's definitely startable in points formats. He's probably startable in 9-cat lately because his usage has gotten so high. And then on the Memphis side, I was a little bit disappointed to see Brandon Clark only get 16 minutes, but at least he played. I expect better in the next one. It was a little weird, actually, how low the uh, playing time was for Clark. I don't, I, I can't fully explain it because JJJ was in horrible foul trouble. Usually that kind of guarantees that Clark is going to get enough playing time, but it just sort of didn't in this one. Steven Adams has been on a weird little heater for Memphis, so he's getting a bunch. And then Slow-Mo played well again, so he got a couple extra minutes. Whatever it was, it just didn't fall Brandon's way. I'm not abandoning ship on Clark after one game where he got his eye poked and another one where the minutes were just a little bit lower. What are you going to do, man? He was a plus four. It's not like he was in units that were losing, but, you know, so whatever. De'Anthony Melton, solid again, 15-6. and six. Steel block, couple three-pointers. He's been on a much better run lately. Things have kind of settled, seemingly, for Melton, so I'm going to just hang on to all whatever Grizz I've got. 
I can tell you right now, the second you start Steven Adams, whatever this is, is going to run out. I feel pretty confident of that. We're only 25 minutes into this show. I can't wrap up a podcast in 25 minutes, can I? Could this just be a shorter one? I guess it could. You know, it's too, it's really, at this point, it's kind of too late in the year to do, like, long-form, buy-low, sell-high segments on a podcast. We could do homework. We could do homework for Tuesday night. But I kind of would rather do that on Twitter. Force you guys to get over there on social so you can, you know, be up to the minute on everything that's going on. You know, we'll just give you guys a little break. Today will be a slightly shorter show. Oh, you know what? I lied. I lied. I did have one thing I wanted to talk about. And we mentioned it in... Not in passing so much in a previous edition of Fantasy NBA Today, but we did talk about it a little. But now we have a bit more clarity on uh, two things, actually, because Al, as we were recording the show, news broke that OG Ananobi has been upgraded to questionable for tonight, which is a massive deal. And it's one of those things where everybody was like, do I drop, do I drop, do I drop? I was like, you got to get a timeline first. You got to get a timeline before you drop somebody. And if they refuse to give you a timeline of any kind, like even out indefinitely, would have been more than what we had on OG. What we had on OG was he was going to get a second opinion, so we knew more information was coming. And this effectively is more information that's coming. The more information is that he's been upgraded to questionable, so the second opinion was like, hey man, maybe you can play through this and you'll be okay. So hopefully you guys didn't drop OG. This is why you always exercise a little bit of of patience. Freddie Van Vliet also upgraded to questionable. I really do wonder, five-game week for Toronto, uh, I get the feeling they're just going to sit Van Vliet in back-to-backs here for that knee. And if there's a game where it's flaring up, even in a non-back-to-back, he sits it. But I think the plan is probably to try to get him in for all non-back-to-back affairs. We'll see how that goes. And the other thing, and this is the one that might take a little bit longer, I put out a question on Sunday on social media that was basically, hey, who do you guys want covered by fantasy analysts? And I got 80 replies to that question, and I literally went through every single one of them, and I cataloged every name that was given to me. And interestingly enough, the two names that came up seven times in 80 replies were Herb Jones, who I just did a Twitter thread on. So if you guys want my opinion on Herb Jones, you got to go over to social at Dan Bespris. And I did one on Michael Porter Jr. a a day ago, but I I do think that we need to talk about him on the podcast for a minute because Denver's sort of a weird, kind of an interesting case study in the other side of my lesson. Remember my lesson from last week during the All-Star break? My lesson was... Do a better job of understanding what, when you're being suckered into a high-usage superstar, which effectively this year was Paul George. I got suckered in. We all did. Many of us did. No Kawhi Leonard. Surely Paul George was going to have a big season. But it was the other side that took effect, which was, hey, Kawhi's probably not coming back until April at the earliest probably more like May by the time he actually has his legs underneath him, maybe not till June. Could Paul George even get the Clippers to May 
in a normal NBA season, meaning he'd have to get through, one would assume, the first and maybe even the second round of the playoffs before Kawhi Leonard is even on the court again. And that's reality. Pragmatism wins in a situation like that where George is like, look, I'm like, I could play through this elbow injury and I could play kind of poorly, but I could help my team a little bit. But what's the point? Am I going to get us from a, an eight seed up to like a six and we're still going to get wiped out by the Jazz or the, you know, <laughs> maybe not the Jazz, Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies even this year. I'll, I doubt that's what was going through his mind. I'm sure he was thinking like Lakers, Suns, whatever, and then the Lakers stunk too. But the point is, Paul George looked at what was in front of him a month and a half into the season and said, what am I doing here? I got to get healthy. And if I get healthy, I'll come back and I'll play. But I'm not playing at half strength. On the other side, Nikola Jokic, who I don't know how many injuries he's played through this season. They haven't told us much. Whatever it is, it's been pretty minor by all accounts. But if he had something that was a click above minor, I think he would have played through it. Now maybe he doesn't have to. Nuggets are in the six seed. I don't think they want to fall back to the seven. That puts them in the play-in tournament. So there is still a pretty good impetus for Denver to keep going. They get the same record as the Mavericks. Nuggets are 11 games over 500, and they've won six games in a row. That's all Jokic going full bore. And the reason he's gone full bore is because, like, we can infer, maybe is a better way to describe it. We don't know any of these things to be true. But based on the fact that Jokic has just been out there day after day after day after day, and Paul George has not, and if you look at the other side, Bradley Beal, not. Look at the teams where, and for Beal, he wasn't missing a superstar. They traded their star player for a bunch of miscellaneous pieces, and that didn't work out. The two examples really this year are Denver, uh, and the Clipper, er, and the Clippers in the Western Conference. You might even expand that to the Blazers when you think about Dame going through the abdominal thing and then just sort of like sputtering out and not really wanting to fight with the same unit again. You can expand our offering to include the Wizards and the Blazers. But the two examples that I think go head-to-head in the most interesting way are the Nuggets and the Clippers. Because with the Nuggets, we've watched... Every one of those guys play through as much as humanly possible. And admittedly, you know, Monty Morris missed time and whatever else. Like, some of these slightly less important players have missed games. Sorry to Monty Morris, but he's less important than Nikola Jokic. The guy who's basically just been there throughout with just a couple of missed games this year is Jokic. And unless he was really dinged up, he wasn't going to sit. And we saw that, and what we can infer from his willingness to play through all of this stuff. Because look, this is also an important point. Paul George sitting, and the Clippers are hanging in there in the play-in tournament. If Jokic sat for any extended period of time, the Nuggets would be lucky to win like 30% of their games. They don't have the personnel to win without Jokic. The Clippers have found a way because they have a whole bunch of slightly above average wings. Their whole team. And then like a sl- like an average center 
and an average point guard, and they've got okay all over the map, and they've put it together in a nice way. Without Jokic, the Nuggets are toast. I don't think they'd make the play-in tournament if he was there as much as Paul George missed for the Clippers. The reason I bring this up is because that's given Jokic and the Nuggets a reason to, to push, to press to this point in the season, to say, look, let's make sure we're not in the play-in tournament. Because every week that we buy ourselves is a week that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. get closer to being at full strength and back with the team. We can reasonably infer from the way the Nuggets have approached this season that they've expected those guys to be back before the playoffs begin. At 100%, doubtful. I don't know that anybody on that team, you know, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, they're not going to be 100% until next October. But good enough, ramping up, all of that stuff seems quite reasonable. So now we pivot back to Michael Porter Jr., who at his best, is a top 20, top 25 type of fantasy player. We got word recently that the Nuggets are expecting him back roughly in the next two to three weeks, which puts us, I would assume, somewhere between about March 13th and March 20th for his return to the court. We don't have a number, by the way, on Jamal Murray. Maybe it'll be somewhere near there. Maybe it'll be a little bit after that. Uh, He was injured about a year ago, a little bit less than a year ago, so we should be getting close in one way or another. So we're not going to worry about Jamal Murray for now. We're going to worry about Michael Porter Jr., because that's the guy you guys were all asking about because the news broke. Woj tweeted that he was expected back in the next couple of weeks. It's very different depending on your format right now. On the Roto side, I think you pick him up because let's say he comes back on March 14th, just less than two weeks from today. It's a Monday. That gives him... Four weeks of regular season basketball left, one of which you can pretty reasonably assume he won't be fantasy useful that first week. But three weeks of Michael Porter Jr., let's say the first week of those, he's playing like 21, 22 minutes a game. The second week, he's up at 23. The third week, he's at 25 or 26. All three of those weeks, that would put him inside the top 100. He's a top 100 play in about 20 minutes per ball game. Get him up to 22-23. That puts him at probably in somewhere in the 75 range. Get him at 25-26 minutes. He's probably in the top 55, top 60. This is very useful for your Roto lineup. And Denver doesn't have a back-to-back from that point until the end of the regular season. Their last back-to-back is, I think, at the tail end of next week, which I don't think he'll be back for. That would be very soon for him to take the court, especially you know off a big back surgery. So Roto, fine. Games cap format, I mean, you might as well. There really aren't guys on the wire where you're like, oh, cool. Like, with two weeks left in the regular season, there's a pretty reasonable shot. I can get six or seven games of, like, top 60 production out of this guy. That's probably what you're looking at there. Head-to-head, on the other hand, I don't think I can touch him in any daily head-to-head format. Weekly head-to-head plays a lot like a Roto Games cap because you can just leave someone on your bench until you need to drop them in, and you could. You know, if he's good enough to go the last two weeks of the regular season, maybe one of those overlaps with your head-to-head playoffs, fine. Weekly, that's good enough. Daily, you can't pick him up. Sorry, you just can't do it. 
even if your playoffs started on March 14th and ran for three weeks, which would be, uh, that would leave a week at the end of the regular season. Your playoffs might even start on March 21st. You just can't do it. Because if there's any setback at all, they're not going to play him in a ball game. He is very much a risk to miss every game, even without a back-to-back. If there's any setback, they're going to go very gingerly with him. The only way, the only way, first of all, you shouldn't be sending your head-to-head to the end of the regular season anyway. I'm going to assume that anybody listening to this podcast has been listening to me say you need to end your season at least one week early. I like to end it one week early because I hate to cut my season short, but you just can't play that last week in head-to-head. Everything is such a massive crapshoot, and that's the week that would determine who wins a bunch of money. Hell no. You got to wipe that out. And if you're like really pragmatic, you wipe out the last two to three weeks. But let's assume that you guys are all just wiping out one week. So April 4th to April 10th are not on the board. Your season ends April 3rd, meaning your playoffs go March 14th to April 3rd. The only way that I could see you maybe adding Michael Porter Jr. is if you had a first-round bye, so your playoffs effectively started March 21st. There is an outside shot. He's playing 22 minutes per game by that week. And if that's the case, then he would probably be better than the last player on your roster. Here's why I still don't really like that. I don't really like that because if it doesn't work out, you've now set yourself behind the eight ball in streaming, which if you have a first round buy and you're, you know, you don't have to do anything March 14th to March 20th, you should use every single move that week to set your team up to have a massive games played advantage in the second round of the playoffs. Because your opponent is scratching and clawing trying to get through, you know, maybe you have the two seed and the three and the six seeds are playing each other in your league and they're going crazy. They're using all their moves to drop all their injured guys March 14th through the 20th. So they come limping into March 21st where you've spent the previous week basically waiting until Friday or Saturday, dropping all your injured guys beforehand, loading up on players set to play a ton of games Monday through Thursday of the following week. And by the time Friday comes around, you've got like a five, six game edge on your opponent and all of your weekly moves left. So I just, I really don't like the idea of stashing a maybe going into the playoffs when it's the silly season anyway. March 18th, 19th, 20th, I would bet my, here's an old, old timey expression, I would bet my bottom dollar that some three or four goofballs that we've never heard of probably surface in the NBA, and you could just use your moves on them. Instead of squatting on Michael Porter and thinking, oh, please, Lord, let the dude get back and let him be playing 22, 23 minutes a game by March 21st, and, and maybe it'll be useful for me. Pfft. Just stream the slot. Stream three slots. I mean, that's the beauty of having that first-round buy. And if you don't have a first-round buy, you're not going to be able to wait on this dude anyway. So that's the only way you might thread that needle in head-to-head. You know what? Here, I'll give you the only way. If your league goes to the very end of the regular season, April 10th, and you have a first-round buy, meaning your playoffs start March 28th, yeah, you could probably stash him then. But your league shouldn't go that late. And the silly season is going to bite you anyway. 
something stupid is going to happen on March or April 5th, and you know your three most important players are going to go down, and it's not going to matter that you stashed Michael Porter for three weeks or whatever. So Roto, Gamescap, weekly formats, go ahead, stash them, because there is that upside built in, and the risk is low in those formats. Head-to-head with your playoffs coming up in the next two weeks, don't do it. Work on setting yourself up. Set yourself up. I mean, here's the thing. Most head-to-head leagues, first and second place, win money. It's not usually winner-take-all these days because things are so screwy at the end of the regular season. You try to create that small buffer. If you make it to the finals, if you have a first-round buy in the playoffs and you set yourself up to have a 6, 7, 8, 9 game-played advantage in the semifinals, you're basically, basically printing a ticket to money in the finals. And then you figure it out from there. And for now, we'll just take it over to social. At Dan Vespers on Twitter. I hope to talk to you over there. I'm not even going to hit you with any more promos at the end of the show. Unless you want a prize. That's the last promo. If you want a prize, hit me up on Twitter. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I will talk to you over there. Uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow, everybody. Enjoy your Tuesday. So long. <laughs>